Hey guys, welcome to the CP Junkie podcast, where we bring you interviews with dentists sharing their CPD stories and journeys from around Australia. What better way to learn than to follow those who've already done it before? CPD Junkie is Australia's most comprehensive CPD, so head over to cpdjunkie.com.au and become a member for free to access the full features of the site. Hey CPD Junkie fam, I'm your host Lawrence Stone and today we're joined by Dr. Bobby Choker. Dr. Bobby Choker graduated from the United Medical and Dental Schools of Guys and St. Thomas Hospitals with a bachelor degree in 1997. He then went on to complete a master's degree in implant dentistry from the University of Warwick and is an invited member of the International Academy of Dental and Facial Aesthetics in New York. Dr. Bobby Choker, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So tell us about your CPD, your dental journey so far, and how did you develop a special interest in implant dentistry and um, TMJ disorders? Um, well, two separate things. I'll, I'll deal with the TMJ disorders first. Um, I just found that at an undergraduate level, uh, which I think still sort of stands, unfortunately, today that occlusion and TMJ isn't taught at a very high level. It's taught at a very basic uh, level. And if you think about it, the, um, the TMJ and your occlusion is the physics and the functioning, the mechanics of your, of your jaw. So, you know, if you don't respect that or know about that, anything you then put in there, you can't expect to have longevity. And that's, you know, my main problem was I was getting lots of patients with um, conditions and I felt like I couldn't treat them. So with the TMJ part of things, I actually went over to um, the US to Florida and did a course uh, with the Pankey Institute and the Dawson Institute over about five years. Pankey did a few small uh, little boot camps, but I did the whole curriculum for the Dawson Academy, which I sort of like their actual uh, philosophy. And that helped me greatly. And then, you know, when I came back, I just set up the TMJ clinic because there seemed to be a number of cases and a need for it. Um, Okay, so that's how I went about the TMJ part. With the implant part of things, um, I think for me, and then, you know, this doesn't have to be, you don't have to be naturally good at something and without me trying to blow my trumpet and trying to be as modest as I can, I just felt that um, I excelled at surgery more than anything else as an undergraduate um had a feel for it had interest in it and you never know what it is chicken or egg whether uh because you're really interested in it you become good at it or you're good at it and therefore you become interested in it but either way i think you know i'm a firm believer that everybody can be taught um these skills over time um and it isn't just like any form of of natural talent although that can help um and the CPD part of it started at the beginning. I sort of went in the same thing. We, we run a, a boot camp. We've actually got one coming up next weekend. And it's an introduction for dentists who are beginners to get into um, implant dentistry without having any judgment or anything else. You know, you, we know your novices and taking it that way. And that's exactly how I started. And that's why I probably run that. Um, I went to sort of like a boot camp. I said, well, okay, implants. We weren't at that stage, which we weren't doing anything at all on an undergraduate level you knew what an implant was and you knew to sort of make up a crown abutment <laughs> the implant the fixture itself and that was it it was mentioned i think for 10 minutes in the lecture and that was it um at that stage so i was like okay i'm interested in this um and i went to sort of like a weekend boot camp uh at the time it was run under a um teaching academy called gift um by stuart harding um and uh, it was in conjunction at that time with uh, GIFT was the sort of startup part of it and it bolted onto a modular form of um, formalized uh, and accredited uh, qualification with the University of Warwick. Right. And so ultimately Stuart Harding um, became my mentor. And that's like, you know, one of your previous episodes rang with me because um, I'm a, a very firm advocate of mentorship. And you know, but you, need to make sure that you're a good mentor you can't you know i see at that time there are a lot of courses i went to courses and there's always a dangling carrot you know i understand with a boot camp you can't teach everything and i tell people that this is just a startup to get you into it you can start assessing some cases and with some guidance you can even maybe start treating some cases but you know step by step very carefully to keep you and your patients safe okay 
Um, but I found there's a lot of sort of dangling carrot and, you know, a lot of these, some of these courses were based around realistically, you know, um, gaining referrals, etc. I don't want referrals. I have enough patients. I want you to treat the patients. Okay. Um, so Stuart Harding, when I went to his thing, there was none of that. And there was a formalized course as well. So, you know, I embarked on that almost straight away. I, I started placing implants under his guidance for quite a while before I did my MSc for many years. Um, mm. I qualified in 97. And when I came out, um, he asked me to become part of his practice in Harley Street, um, which I was very honored to do because it's, um, it's quite difficult to be in at that level, you know, when you start straight away. So I got a very good, um, good start, as it were. Um, yeah. And he's always reminded me that, you know, he gave me a good start. I should be giving other people a good start. So, you know. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> so I'll, I'll just backtrack. Yeah, I mean, you came straight to the point. So you graduated um, and you were uh, cherry picked, weren't you? You were cherry picked by him to, to yeah. go to his his practice and, and start working there. Is that kind of where you saw, okay, TMJ is kind of like where I want to kind of dive into it and that's how all the Panky stuff kind of came into it? Or was that kind of later on that you decided that TMJ after you were doing all this oral surgery and all that kind of thing, that, that kind of came into the perspective? I think slightly after. I mean, you know, I wish I had been actually before, but slightly after, but it's simply because um, most problems you get particularly, you know, that occur over long periods of time are with occlusion and TMJ. And, you know, if you don't have a stable reference point or somewhere that you can make stable if it's unstable, uh, which is reproducible, um, you're pretty much all over the place. So, you know, we, I find that out very quickly. Uh, the problem you, that occurs with um, implants as opposed to teeth when you're in something that's not in harmony is that with the teeth, you know, they're quite forgiving because they have a periodontal ligament. They will move, they will accommodate, you know, they will take up all these stresses. Um, and they can take all types of forces because they have ligaments designed to do that. Um, mm. And ultimately you may fail. Well, implants don't. Okay, yeah. they're not forgiving at all. And one force they don't like is a, you know, you have a compression um, and a tension force, but they don't like shear forces. And ultimately, that's what occlusion produces, okay, particularly right. anteriorly. Um, and you'll find that, you know, uh, you get bone loss very quickly. The other problem is that once you lose that implant, it takes bone with it. Sometimes you're in a situation where um, there is insufficient healthy bone for you to then have subsequent implant treatment. Right. So what you're saying is that you, you came out, you graduated and you're kind of um, working this practice, doing your general dentistry of the sort. And then you're kind of taking a liking to kind of oral surgery and all that kind of stuff um, and implants as well. And that's kind of when you started to see that TMJ was kind of becoming a bigger factor, there's bigger issues. And that's when you decided, okay, now I've got to go dive into more into it and kind of gain a better understanding of it. So that's kind of how right so implants kind of came first so i guess um sorry i'm just kind of um trying to paint a picture here so then the, our, our community can kind of follow on your story so you graduated and then you're would you say that earlier on at that point you were doing simple kind of cases before you decided to do the masters or was it did something compel you to do the masters um was it yeah yes it did um I think I went from simple to very advanced cases, but the sort of the occlusion, TMJ, and that, that sort of stage learning really helped me. Um, because mm -hmm. let's just take implants out of the equation. Let's just say we're dealing with a full mouth rehabilitation, which may be you know, a, a fully broken down mouth. And let's say there's no implants going in at all. All the teeth are savable. Um, yeah. It provided you with the basic principles for re-establishing a reproducible uh, joint position and then restoring to that. Okay, and doing it in a temporized version that's not going to fall apart. That can then the patient can really wear into, so you know exactly where they they sit comfortably, and then reproduce that in the permanent form. So that was like that part of it. Um, the I think it just happened that there were a number of large cases that were coming along, and I wanted to know how to treat them. The bit with the implant came later because I saw that by putting things into harmony. Um, you had predictability, okay, and if it's predictable, you're happy, and more importantly, your patient is happy, you know, happy patient, happy dentist, uh, and very importantly, uh, it had longevity with little maintenance, yeah. okay, things didn't fall apart, you weren't going to, 
you know, cross your fingers and go, I hope those veneers stay on. You know, now you're confident <laughs> they're definitely going to stay on. There's a bother. Come on, you know. So put your yeah. things in a different a different bracket. That's what it was, and that's why um, in uh, even actually for year one, and um, when we we're teaching, um, as you know, I do the we're teaching the master's degree uh, in conjunction with uh, Stuart Harding again in the UK, um, and we do a certification diploma MSCs three years. It's up to you how much you want to do if you want to do a year that's fine you know um where you want to get off that uh, boat um and one of the things that we do immediately in the first year in the first sort of section first module is occlusion mm. so you're saying that you graduated and you were oh, sorry, like yes, in a, oh, yeah let's just you had a lot one. of these heavy cases is that what happened yeah sorry let me just answer the last question i, I digress so um what happened was that i got to do these cases and they got bigger bigger cases got to the point where we're treating very complex cases and once you start treating them you know if you break the case down it actually becomes a simple case lots of simple cases joined together with all that complex cases like everything in life the reason i did the msc is because um stuart harding wanted me to teach on the msc um or his part of it gift and i um it you know, I agreed with him. It didn't sort of bode well, sort of having a tutor teaching you all this stuff, whether you know it or not, all the experience and everything else, when you don't have a formalized qualification. So um, I started to embark on the MSc for that reason initially, but in hindsight, it was the best thing I could have done because the amount of experience it gave me, because you, you're not privy to what you don't know until you don't know you don't know. <laughs> okay, so uh, it gave me privy to so much information um, and access to things that you don't have access to. You think, you know, okay, fine, I can go and learn a little bit here, here, you can. Um, it mm. becomes quite labor intensive. You're working, you're running a business, you've got a family, you walk the dog, and then you're gonna come back and dig into these books. And that's why, you know, it appeals to students to have these cases where people have done that for you. But when you do an MSc, you have access to information you don't have access to normally. You know, you have like access to journals and Medline and studies that are particular to that university and all the universities in the UK that have um, a sort of centralised uh, information source. Then you have access to all of that, um, and so you get to see and read things and see cases at a much higher level. You know, and that's what excited me. So I initially went in for the teaching, but once I got in, I was like, "This is great!" You know, you're expanding your skill set. Um, yeah. You're knowing what to do because there's nothing nicer than a dentist knowing what to do um, predictably and with repetition so that it works. Because then they can say to their patient, "But I can fix that," you know. And ultimately, you know, regardless of whether people think they've sort of gone into it for their life, money, or that aside, you know, there's a care element of that of you. And you know, if you can help someone else, and I think you're 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 smart and you're um, Clever, and it's not an epiphany because I don't believe in them. Um, <laughs> if, uh, you know, because it's just a realization that you've not really got got it before. Now you do. So you know, you just bought an epiphany. You know, um, is the fact that you know helping someone else else really makes you happier than helping yourself. You know, you're seeing smiles in face. So you know, that's that's. I think that was part of it. Yeah. So you're saying that, like, you you weren't aware that uh, you're doing all these, like I said, boot camp, like weekend kind of courses on these implants, and it wasn't until you actually dived into it that you really kind of understood that wow, there is that big jump and that difference in it um, doing a master's compared to a weekend kind of course. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think look, we can just start that for you to get a feel because it may not be for everybody. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Practice owning a practice isn't for everybody. Being yeah. a businessman isn't for everybody. You're not taught that undergraduate level to be a businessman. Yet you're thrown straight into a business, whether it's somebody else's or yours, you know? So it gave me a feel of, you know, feel about what you like, you know, go and explore. You're young, you know, you've come out of college instantly, people are like, oh, yeah, well, now I've got to do this, that, that. you know, relax. <laughs> okay, take your time, you know, there's no hurry. There's no yeah. hurry, really, there's no hurry. Enjoy it, you know? And time flies, it just disappears. You just got to be present and enjoy it. And Find out what you like. You might embark on implants and say, I hate this. You know, yeah. <laughs> I want to go do something else. Go do something else. You might even graduate. I have colleagues of mine that have graduated. Dentists, very good dentists, been doing dentists. One of them was dentists for about 15 years and decided they didn't want to do dentists anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Like, so many graduates, and when they graduate, they're like, oh man, I really need to learn orthodontics. I need to learn implants right now. Like, how do I do it all really quickly and do it, you know? 
So, I mean, what's your advice on that? So, through what you're saying is like, you know, do one at a time and then, or you'll just say, and then kind of see how that kind of goes, if you like it, and then go from there, or? I, I think so, to get a passion for it. Um, two things, I'll, I'll answer that question two ways. Look, firstly, your why has to be strong. Okay, why do you get up a bed and go in? If your why is completely about money, uh, I want to get a nice car, I want to get a bigger house. I want nicer holidays. Look at so-and-so. He's a super GP. I want to be as money orientated. It will fizzle out very quickly. You'll become unhappy very quickly. Okay. I'm not mm. saying that that shouldn't be part of it because we all want, you know, those things by sort of luxuries and uh, but like that, if that's your only way, it will fizzle out. And mm -hmm. same in business, you know, but so you'll find your passion. Uh, I personally believe, and you know, I honestly hope that people don't think the sense because I run a master's degree. I'm, the reason we did that sort of reverse engineering it was exactly that question because I think you should do concentrate on one thing first okay not only one thing but let's just say your passion seems to be implant you know that's why we put this thing into a modular thing because people do a year certification so if they decide they don't want to do it after that year they leave with a, certi a certification a university certification okay which is really important if they leave after two years, and they can have a gap of two years in between. They don't have to run it concurrently. They can go off and practice and say, yeah, I'm loving this. I want to go back and learn more. Second year's diploma, and then, you know, your third year, do an MSc. I think having that formalized and accredited qualification is really important. Um, and it will give you, I don't think you'll really get a flair and feel for all of it until you do something like that. Am I saying you shouldn't do other courses? No, my associate, um, I've got a great astute associate. Uh, He's going to shoot me for mentioning his name, Peter Wu. Um, yes. I think he's great. Uh, he's really got loads of get up and go, super happy chappy, and that's what we like our practice. We've got a lovely team, actually. All of our team are fantastic. I really have to say they really look after our patients and look after me. So, and he's wanting to do, he's joining the MSC next year. Not, I didn't, that's not a requirement. That's his choice. If he said, no, I don't want to do it, that's fine. He's a good associate. I don't care about that. That's the career part of things. But he said, look, this is what I want to do. I joined that, but I said, in the meantime, I'm going to do like a small mini residency, a mini course in ortho because I'm really getting into my uh, clear aligners, you know? So why not? You know, there's time for that. You know, if, uh, again, with this MSC, we made it part-time to make it easy for people because you can't have people doing full-time MSC, trying to earn and progress their career you know it has to be part-time our clinical is 12 days in the year which is the, the learning part really it's between 9 and 12 days and then they have access to the surgery so they can come and see procedures and assist with everything in my surgery it's like their surgery um, and then they have an academic side with Stuart Harding and so it just makes it easy for them yeah and that's important and what's really important that people don't understand and that's why I love the fact that you're doing um, the CPD uh, podcast, and I really love the fact that you're doing CPD junkie. Um, it, it, it is the fact that we, this is something that people don't know. You are personally responsible for the education you choose. Okay, so if you go on a course, an implant course, and it's basically, you know, a week course, and I fly off somewhere and get some poor, unsuspecting um, victims and smash 20, 30 implants into their jaw and then come home and think I'm an implant surgeon, you're responsible for that course. Okay, so if you come back and things don't go right and you're up, um, you know, for God forbid, um, in front of dental counsel or, and or legal or worse, um, they will have to look at your course and see whether or not it's to standard. Mm -hmm. okay? And it will actually act against you rather than for you if they find it's well below standard, it's better you'd say I didn't even go in that course. Okay? So that's why it's important for you to have evidence-based, university level, uh, internationally recognized and accredited course. Okay? Because people teaching that course, like myself, I'm actually accountable to the university and Stuart Harding for the level of course I'm giving. And they order every, everything goes through fine, you know, fine sieve to make sure that it's of standard. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's really important, you know. So don't go up there and saying like, you know, I've got these twenty sort of mini courses. And people say, oh, I went on a year program, and the year program is, you know, five sessions of two days. I said that's a ten-day program. Mm -hmm. Year program involves mentorship. 
and mentorship is essential. Okay, and that's why we try and be really good. I try and be a really good mentor. All my students that come in, they have access to me. You know? They can, they ask questions. We have to obviously they try and book in because I am very very busy, um, and that doesn't mean I don't have time for them or my patients. But they just schedule it because it's important enough to talk about. It's important enough to schedule. And they bring me cases. Maybe cases that they're not going to treat, and they're just going to do sort of an imaginary assessment and treatment plan. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we work through the cases together, or they've got a case where things haven't gone quite right, or they've got a case and said, should I be attempting this at my skill level? And as I said, I don't like trying to bring it into practice, but there's certain things they're like, look, if you, could you do that bit, maybe grafting, etc., and then it's an ideal, and it becomes a simple case as opposed to being a complex case, so we turn a complex case into a simple case for them, and then they have my guidance, or they're like, you know, I will happily assist them. Mm-hmm. So that's being a good mentor, and having a good mentor is, is key. Yeah. I want to come back to a few things. You mentioned your associate earlier on. He was doing clear aligners, and he's taking a liking to it, so he was going to pick up a few more of the um, mini residency in ortho. What's your opinion on you know learning clear or fixed um, aligners first? or you know? I think, look, um, the old adage used to be that you know, um, fixed orthodontics is always is always like you know the best, right? That was the old one because you can do certain sure. things. You know, rather than rotation and tilting, you can actually have bodily movement. Okay. Yeah. And that's basically its major advantage. And also, you know, um, you know, you can be more specific and you can get down to a really fine point of where you want to get things. Um, that's no longer the case. Okay. Um, uh, one of them, the our person we refer to, the specialist we refer to for orthodontic cases. I mean, I don't do ortho anymore as well. I only do surgery. Um, no. Okay, uh, I don't do any general dentistry whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, and whether it's cosmetic or for anything, nothing at all. And no. um, but we're, with Peter, if he has a complex case or he needs guidance or he wants further on, uh, we refer to Vandana Katyal. She runs yeah. the Boss, you know, ortho course which is fantastic course that's a course I've actually recommended Peter to go on um, and she's a very very good orthodontist I respect her very much and that's why you know I refer my patients to her um, and she does everything almost everything now through clear aligners um, and she says that all of that thing all that that old myth of like you know that you need fixed orthodontics to achieve these things you can now do with clear aligners Mm, okay. We've had cases that we've said, and uh, she's treated them clear aligner. I was like, no way. Has come back and I was like, wow, that's amazing, <laughs> you know. And the convenience of patients having aligners and everything else. Nobody wants to wear. Um, if people only wear fixed orthodontics because they sort of have to, or they've been told they have to, and sometimes you know there is a case to treat it with fixed for a very short period of time, and then they go straight into clear, clear aligner just to establish some parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did do the fast braces. I think that's a great system. I really enjoyed it. Um, I largely went into it not to treat whole cases, although I did treat a number of like full cases. Mm-hmm. I went into it largely for um, uh, refining cases for implant treatment. So you know, had tilted, over erupted teeth. Um, in certain cases, we even used it um, for wisdom tooth extraction. Mm-hmm. In conjunction with a mini implant, where you know you can actually you know um, put tension on a impacted uh, wisdom tooth, or let's say a tooth that's impacted, and you know it's not medial or just impacted; it's just basically submerged, and it's in um, it's interfering with the ID nerve. Um, mm-hmm. We've had them where we've basically managed to pull them up and erupt them and get them away from the nerve, so that you can then extract them. You know, right, just right. to the patient. You know, um, it's just much easier. So that's the initial reason that sort of got into that. Um, I think it's important for people to have that as part of um, their makeup uh, in terms of ortho, being able to do ortho. You see it everywhere, you know. Um, And there's a new term that people quite often use now. So rather than periodontitis or peri-implantitis, it's orthodontitis. So basically, you know, they know that a malocclusion uh, or with teeth that are crowded in particular, um, you can't clean that mouth as well as, you know, straight teeth. So that produces periodontal disease 
Okay. Mm -hmm. And by fixing the ortho, you can actually make it much easier for the patient to clean and decrease the likelihood of them having um, periodontal disease. So, you know, it's, a, it's an important part of your makeup. But within the uh, our surgery with Peter, um, because we have a high demand for it and he enjoys it, those two things are equally important. Um, he wanted to embark on doing something so he could do it at a higher level. But, you know, also be aware of what you bring into your practice, um, as in your hands, as in the right, and I'm not like my practice with Peter. I just tell him, treat what you want to treat and what you're able to treat, you know, and anything you don't want to treat, or if you've got a question mark over it, then don't treat it, refer it, but follow it. Mm -hmm. Follow it all the way through. Have a look at the treatment plan, see what they did, learn from it. Um, and see if that's for you. You know, you don't have to bring everything into practice. You know, I was asked recently if I wanted to uh, go through a accredited course and qualification so that I could place zygomatic implants. I was like, why? Yeah. I leave that to the people that do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see, I see. Were you guys doing home casting impressions at one point? Um, we, we've got, I love technology. I love it. <laughs> um, okay, so. I'm the worst. I'm the guy that they, they see coming, you know? So I'm like, I will go in there, I'll talk about every machine, and then in the end I'll go, what's the best one? Which is always the most expensive one. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, we'll have three of those, right? So um, we've got a full set where we can do everything. So look, um, with my full math rehabilitations, um, we have a system where we actually 3D print the provisional um, immediately for the patient. Okay, yeah. and that goes in as soon as teeth are taken out and implants are put in, they, they get a, a, a provisional and that gives us a lot of scope for changing things if we're not happy with it. If there's a chip or a break, we can easily print another one, etc. So we did have a look at it for orthodontics. Now, we've got a fairly decent setup, but it's largely designed for more that side of things, mm. along with retainers and other things. And we found we've got a relationship with... Um, a company with a lab that produces them at a rate uh, and cost that it wouldn't really be cost effective for us to set up our own lab in, unless we were doing a lot of that okay yeah. so you know it's still going to be a little bit more expensive but then you have to think about the hassle and you know the stress of all of that uh, and is it worth just paying a bit extra and having it there um also with a lot of these companies um we make sure we know who we're getting the plans from and we suggest a plan a very detailed plan and then obviously there's a, an approved plan that comes back and it's by someone that is actually an orthodontist not you know a specialist orthodontist not uh it's not going to some lab somewhere across the world and you're just getting some treatment plans you'll find a lot of these treatment plans are now automated yeah yeah i hear what you're saying yeah. um i just want to come back a little bit so because uh, you know originally your story started in the uk right yeah. and at this point like you're you're um and you can correct me if i'm wrong at any point so you're 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 learning about implants it's, things are going well you're doing really big cases and you become part of the practice that, um at tarley street and an owner of the practice is that correct or well, what happened first, I was working for Stuart Harding and then he gave me an opportunity that there was some rooms that were available because it, it was a flaw. So Harley Street is basically all doctors and dentists have been for centuries, okay? Yeah. That's why it's sort of known in, well, it's predominantly known in Europe, but some of the people here medical would know of Harley Street. Um, and the building we were in was a bit more of a modern building. The rest of it's sort of quite, you know, um, uh, an old architecture. And along our floor, there were multiple clinics and mm -hmm. Stuart's clinic had a couple of surgeries that were free mm -hmm. and I had a become free. Um, and um, he offered me the opportunity uh, very kindly to actually hire the space as opposed to working for him. Mm. So I was basically hiring space within his, his practice. Yeah. Yeah, and so you got this going. Um, you're, you're, you've got your space going. You've got the tutoring that you've got doing through the um, the work as well. Um, I guess at this point, what kind of compels you to come over to you know um, Australia? Because everything's kind of looking like it's pretty good so far. Well, um, a few things. One, um, it wasn't initially. Uh, there wasn't really a full intention at first. It's sort of fell into place and you know I don't believe in coincidence and seeing that things happen for a reason. I was here and I was lecturing um, 
uh, with actually Professor Edward Lynch, and he was doing quite um, lectures at that time, 2000. And, oh God, would it be 2013, 14, uh, around about 2013? We were doing lectures on ozone. Yeah, because that was his study, and ozone was a thing. And I was lecturing alongside that, and I basically got um, headhunted by um, uh, got headhunted by a group. And so initially, they, the offer they gave me was to come here and sort mm. of run large practice of what I was doing there. Uh, the additional advantage to me was at that time was that I wanted to. Uh, run my own course and obviously I couldn't run that MSc in um, the Northern Hemisphere because that was Stuart Harding's, you know, domain. Yes. So this, um, so he kindly gave me license to uh, run that course with the university and accreditations or something. So, so my plan was always to launch uh, the MSc. That was sort of my bigger thing because um, I enjoy teaching. I love it. I really like students. Um, I don't think you should teach if you don't like students and you don't uh, <laughs> uh, like having a laugh and uh, you know getting on with students and also part knowledge. I don't think. You yeah. Should. And when I was being taught, well, most of my tutors couldn't stand being tutors. You know, and it showed. They're like, oh, you know, I want to get out of here. You know, and you know, look back and go, I don't want to be that guy. Um, yeah. So that was important to me, and I really enjoyed teaching. So I thought, look, you know, I've got an opportunity to launch this in Australia. Um, and then, lo and behold, before you know it, you meet someone, you get married, and <laughs> this is where I am. Yeah, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Um, and then, I guess, so, so you come here, and then you start working as an associate um, dentist or something, or is it that you decide to open up your own practice at this point? No, so associate dentist, and then, um, obviously, I didn't have my permanent residency in PR, so I couldn't be a soft trade or anything else. So as soon as I, you know, you, um, that's the other thing, you know, I had um, a, a journey where I didn't actually have a, a smooth ride sort of when I got anything. Why would he not have a smooth ride? He's got everything like going along, et cetera. But life yeah. isn't that way. And, you know, that's why I'm very firm of being like a really good principal to my, um, my, my uh, associates, like being a really good principal, you know, really looking after them, having their back. Um, really encouraging them, really inspiring them, you know, and really sort of not in the nitty gritty, you know, let certain things go, you know. Um, but they've obviously got to respond that way. And so I didn't really have that. So as soon as I got my PR, I decided, you know what, well, I've worked for myself virtually all my life, you know, and then I had a short hiatus of working for other people for about three years. Um, definitely go back to working for myself <laughs> um uh, so i went and did that and you know and that's why i sort of mentioned earlier you know you've got to know sometimes you don't know until you get into it but you've got to know whether or not you want to be a business owner because financially it's not always beneficial it can mm -hmm. be uh, if you're at a certain level um definitely you know but um quite often if you're doing just general dentistry and everything else if you weigh up uh, having a decent percentage and working in a, a, um, a practice where you've got good quality clients coming in and you're not having to do anything. You go in, you do your work well, and you leave with nothing, no, no, nothing after five o'clock. Um, you weigh up the difference in the amount that you're going to get at that level anyway. And quite mm -hmm. often, like, associates go not interested in like taking on all that burden. Right. Yeah, because like for a lot of, uh, you know, associates or graduates at that four or five year mark, they start to contemplate being a practice ownership or being a specialist or being a super dental GP, you know. So what are your thoughts on that, given now that you've been part of, you know, each of those processes? I think being a super GP, being specialist, yes. No, keep learning. Carry on learning. Keep doing that. You'll just don't have that objective. Just carry on learning, you'll end up there anyway. There's no other way you're going to go. You're going to end up there because uh, mm -hmm. all roads, you know, lead to Rome. So um, with the practice part of it, I think it's good to get a feel of things. In the past, it's, you know, obviously my, um, my practice here, but, you know, I've had several practices in the UK. Um, and sometimes at one point I've had nearly four practices all at once. So, um, I had a look at it and with my associates, I try and be generous, okay? So that, you know, they feel like, you know, 
the bat, the difference between owning their place and that is very marginal. Okay, uh, in terms of the monetary side of things, um, and in one of the practices, which you know, obviously, I I saw the practices as I left, um, which was which was great for me, uh, was that well, one of the last the last practices was actually an associate from one of the the third practice I opened, and when I opened the fourth practice, I opened it as a partnership with that associate. Mm-hmm. And I gave guidance on how to run the business, how to put systems in place, um, sort of like a blueprint to help. But I was pretty much a silent partner. I made sure my associate was the principal, not me. Mm-hmm. And that they ran things. Obviously, they came to me for guidance if they were stuck and everything else. But the day-to-day running, the staffing, everything else was run by them. Uh, wow. All I did was finance it on the other side because they were like, well, I can't start off with a a single room somewhere and slowly try and build up in three to four five years or i can go in i can have a sort of three four operator surgery and go into partnership with bobby and you know that means that i can start at uh, the level i want to start or the level i've been accustomed to because that's the level they were working at in my surgery so they were all like that i'd sort of rip out and get it done really nicely and have yes. the latest gear so you know um and that's not easy you know people tend to forget you know there's a lot on young graduate shoulders um and you know i don't i hope that there isn't that same sort of hierarchy within the system as there used to be in hospitals where you know um all the nasty rolls downhill to them okay <laughs> and you know in a private sector we've got liberty to sort of cut people like that um and my team make me you know they're very mm-hmm. important to me. so you know i always make sure that they're happy yeah so I'm just coming back to the the implant side of things. So how how did you go from you know doing singles, multiples to you know now you know all on four, and then um, is it Teeth Express as well, um, like an all on six? Yeah, I mean they say to all on six. To be honest, you know whether you call it all on four, as you know that's just like registered trademark by Noble Biocare. Don't know why really, but um, and um, Teeth Express. You know everybody comes up with their. Um, Teeth in the box, whatever you want to call it, smile in the box. I'm sorry, um, yeah. and whatever they want to call it, um, everybody comes up with their own thing. It's essentially the same thing, okay? And I never say sort of if it's on, it's never always on four implants. If we get to, if more implants is better, that's what we do. You know, we look at the cases. We call them full mouth rehabilitations. You know, we don't yes. use that. Um, um, I went that change for me in a different way. Um, because as I said before, I sort of learned through Stuart Harding being my mentor and it wasn't formalized and accredited for me later. But now in hindsight with the students that I'm teaching, um, definitely formalized uh, education. Uh, the mm-hmm. certification, for example, teaches. By the end of the certificate year, you should be able to place a single anterior and assess it for, uh, uh, have an aesthetic risk index that we use. So you know mm-hmm. how difficult that case is aesthetically, simple, advanced, or complex. You should be able to place a single anterior, a single posterior, and restore a short space, so basically two parts of the bridge. Yeah. yeah. And you should be able to do socket preservation, uh, and you should be able to assess the patient fully, treat the plan well, and surgically plan, and know your drilling protocols, and also digitally plan if you're going to use a guide. So it's not a dangling hat. The first year is designed for you to be able to do all those things. Mm. Now that requires mentorship. You can't get, you know, we put as much as we can into it so you've got all the ins and outs. So it's a proper toolkit for doing this, but you'll always need mentorship because that's more of a confidence thing. Okay. Yeah. We can make sure we supply that. In the second year, they learn to have advanced bone grafting, sinus lifts, and how to do all on form, teeth express, you know, smile in a box, um, full math rehabilitations. Um, and the third year is academic where we pass to university they get a tutor and this is all done remotely from I think University of Bolton Uh, and um, they can have their MSc if they want to go down down that path which I usually encourage you've gone as far as the diploma you know last year and to your dissertation and get your MSc okay yeah Um, so in terms of answering questions of learning how to go from single the next step would be because single would be it wouldn't just go from single to multiple. The stages in my mind would be first of all, learning uh, treatment planning and how to restore things prosthetically single unit. Mm-hmm. Then it'd be the surgical part. The surgical part, obviously, um, the posterior being easier than the anterior. 
okay? So I go posterior single, anterior single, and then it would go to posterior um, short space. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you can master that, you're pretty much, that's about sort of 80, 90% of the dentistry that comes to you in terms of implants. Mm -hmm. Beyond that would be advanced bone grafting, soft tissue, and then beyond that is obviously full back rehabilitation. Yeah. So yeah, that's why sort of we try to we try to run it as modules in that form. Yeah, so, yeah. And one of the things that we concentrate quite heavily on to help um, students is that you know the course has been designed. The academic side with Stuart Harding, which you have like these little tutor groups that you just zoom into, which is great because you don't have to take time out of practice. Uh, and they're not labor intensive and they're not like every single week. So, you know, they're enough as, as much as little as you want, like there's a minimum requirement. It's all evidence-based university level learning. The clinical side with me is basically more the practical application. And that's why it involves a fair bit of typodont and actual clinical uh, learning. And, you know, once you've got that down and you know what the criteria for assessment are, you just follow that format it gives you a result. And a lot of these are sort of fill in the box and I'll tell you whether simple, advanced or complex using, you know, the Royal College of Surgeons um, uh, criteria. Um, uh, one of the things that we concentrate on quite heavily in it as well is also keeping you protected. So doing things so that they are in line with dental counsel and ARPRA guidelines. Mm -hmm. So if you follow the templates and everything else, you should stay safe. Okay. Yeah. It tells you your competency, what you should be doing, but also tells you what you should be doing if you are competent to do that. Yes. Uh, and one of the things we concentrate on most, uh, like that, is consent. Consent isn't just a piece of paper. The piece of paper is important because they say it's not just a piece of paper. If you don't have that piece of paper, it doesn't bode well. But it's a process. Okay. And we also concentrate on note writing. What you should be writing in each of the notes. You know, they don't like template form. Well, they don't like copy and paste. Templates are fine because mm -hmm. you've got to populate a template. Uh, and we yes. concentrate on that too. Like, for example, the boot camp, we give them templates on um, uh, assessment templates for what you need to assess, treatment planning template, consent template, uh, planning template, surgical planning template, and a consent template as well. We give that away. You, they get my consent, my full mm -hmm. consent. It's like, I think it's about eight or 10 pages long. Um, and there's a section in it that we have where it's the cost. Uh, the most of it's generic because it's the same for every patient, but then there's two specific sections that are to that patient. One is a proposed current situation, mm -hmm. and the other one is proposed treatment. And we populate that. And we also teach students how to populate that in lay terms because it's informed consent. So if the patient doesn't understand something in the consent form when you have been through that or documented that you've given them the opportunity to ask questions and to clarify that there is no ambiguity. And no, mm -hmm. if I wrote, <laughs> okay, um, it doesn't stand for anything. They're like, I was confused, you know, gave me the bit of paper and told me to sign it. So all of that comes into that. And it, it means that you have happy learning, uh, you enjoy the course, you get a accredited, you learn new skills so that you can instantly start to practice implant dentistry and you can do it in a safe, mentored, nurtured environment. And that's what mm -hmm. we do. That's how we do the course. Fair enough. Yeah. So, I mean, like, on top of that, because you also have consent forms for, like, like uh, cosmetic uh, smile makeovers as well, don't you? As well. Yeah. Um, so... Talk to me about a little bit about that too. Like, how's that in, in terms of your practice and how you do things? Um, when patients come in for a consultation, let's say for a smile makeover, um, the very first thing we'll do is obviously talk to them um, about what, what their needs expectations are. Mm -hmm. You obviously have a physical examination and see whether it's appropriate. You, know, you don't want to have somebody that's sort of like a nine out of 10 with perfect teeth who's 19 years old and you've got a veneer 20 teeth to get them to a 10 out of 10 a that's very dangerous right you're in sort of dangerous territory yeah. um but you know you need to make sure that it's justified you know yeah, that it's ethical okay so we assess them uh once we've assessed them uh, if they're serious about moving forward we'll do a number of things we will number one take um cbct and we'll take individual x-rays of the teeth that are going to be treated 
to make sure that they're healthy, their vitality test, probing profits, whether it's a CPITN, a BPE, or a six-point probing chart, depending on what we find. So we do all the basics like we do for everybody else. They have a digital scan. The digital scan is then we also take photographs uh, and we then do a um, digital mock-up of what the teeth are going to look like. Mm. So they get that. That's the very first stages to get the blueprint. Once we're happy with that and the patient has approved that, that's then turned into a physical model, okay, by 3D printing, and we create guides from that. And those guides are used then to treat the case so that it is as close as possible to what we predicted digitally and then physically and then clinically. Yeah. The consent process, the consent process starts from the very point in which after that initial consultation, we do those consultations for free, the initial consults, and they're serious about moving forward. So they've paid some money for their diagnostics and we use diagnostics for everything. Okay, so mm. when I do implants, we do a diagnostic support and gather all the information that we need so we can treat the case. Um, at that diagnostics appointment, the very first one, we introduce the consent and we talk through the entire consent. So it is protocol in our practice, including for myself, to sit down and talk and read the entire consent to the patient. Then give them a copy to take home, so they've yeah. got time to read it in their own time because it's important consent. Uh, and then when they come back and they want to start treatment and they approve the plan and the mock-up, we ask them to sign a digital form of that, and that goes into their file. So that you know that process then after two to three appointments, including them having the uh, written consent, um, to me forms uh, informed consent because over a period of time. It's informed, they've given, given time to ask questions, there's no ambiguity, there's no terminology, uh, and they know exactly what the pros and cons of the procedure are. Mm, yeah. Do you find that sometimes you get um, in a tight spot when they're trying to pressure you for time-wise? Like, you know, I want to get this done in four to five months or something like that. Like, do you find that you have to open up the discussion and explain to them, you know, this might actually take a lot longer or? Yeah, I mean, I, will, um, I tell them straight away that, you know, their time, um, agendas are not my time agendas. Okay, my my duty of care is to them, not their teeth or their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. But I've got a wedding. I've got a wedding coming around the corner. I will give them parameters. So if they say to me, "Look, you know, oh well, you know, I've got a wedding in three months. Can I get my, um, you know, I'm the father of the uh, the bride, you know, um, and I'm going to be giving her away, and I need to have my teeth. They're terrible. Can I get my for my rehabilitation done in three months. And I'll be like, no, you can't. But I'll tell you what you can have. You can have the surgery done and you can have a provisional, which will look uh, a lot better than the teeth that you have at the moment because they're terminal. So your aesthetics will be significantly enhanced from like, let's say two up to about a six, seven or an eight. There won't be a 10 until after the final bridge. Now, if everything goes according to plan, it takes three months for that integration of implants. And when we start your final prosthesis, then it's going to take us probably another five weeks, mm-hmm. okay, three appointments. Um, so, you know, that's outside your time zone, but that's what I can do. Okay, and keep it at that level. Don't be put under pressure by patients. You're yeah. in control of the treatment plan, not them. Yeah, um, and that's why, you know, each consent is sort of specific to the procedure that you're performing. You know, we have an ortho one. Clear lines. We have one for food space, although we don't do that really anymore. Uh, we have ones for fillings. We have one for cosmetic treatment. We have ones for plan and bridge. We have one for root canal treatment. We have one for single implants. We have one for full mouth rehabilitation. Do they all need to be adapted adapted specifically to the patient? Yeah, they're designed to be that way because then it's like specific to the patient. It's not just copy and paste. Been out for a few years now. But you want to know the important updates on restorative dentistry, oral medicine, oral surgery, and endodontics without having to go searching for it everywhere? No sweat. Drop into the Dental Update 2022 held on 26th to 27th of August at the Hilton Hotel, Brisbane. And even better, get 15% off your ticket if you buy it today. That's roughly $250 off your ticket to listen to the likes of Anthony Mack, Prof Chris Peck, Prof Ian Myers, I'm all about quality over quantity of CBD. So head over to cbdjunkie.com to get your exclusive ticket now. I, I, I really like how you're talking about, if our listeners haven't picked up, you know, you're talking about all these different systems that you've built up. 
over time, you know, making sure the patient's fully aware, fully understanding of all things before you go ahead. Because what you're talking about is, you know, some some of these, a lot of these things, these treatments are pretty extensive, a lot um, um, expensive time-wise that you don't really fully understand because it's going to be not just a straight kind of journey. It's going to be eps and flows. There's going to be soreness and all of that through it. Um, and so they have to be really invested uh, in it to kind of proceed. But I want to ask is like, did you come, like, where did all these processes come from? Like, you know, as a graduate, I'm graduating and, um, you know, how do I, how do I think of these things that you're talking about? Like, is it through that, you know, I fall a few times before I realize, or am I seeing other people do it? Like, how did you come up with all these processes? I think over time, um, now it's better. It's much easier. Things are much easier for everybody. <laughs> you know, they're not sort of like, you know, there's someone like, you know, <laughs> the old dentist all the time, but they weren't. You know, now you can go online. You can buy a consent. Yeah, you can go online and say, I need some consents. And you can buy those consents. In fact, at one point, I think sort of in the UK, the British Dental Association was selling <laughs> You could <have laughs> buy them from your trade union. Okay, at cost, they should be given to you. Free, right? The ADA um, should get on it, hey? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, they, they, um, they. Uh, uh, that's how that sort of came about. I think it came about, about organically, and then it got to the point where, with these particular ones, we actually put them to a lawyer, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, medical legal lawyer, um, to sort. You know, you can never cover everything, but if it covers the vast majority of things, you know, it puts you in safer water rather than safe water. Um, yeah, I think that's just sort of the way it came about. I think the main fear that dentists have is that if they tell them everything that can go wrong and paint like this scary picture, they're going to scare the patient away and the mm-hmm. patient won't convert and then they won't be able to do the plan and they won't get the money coming in for it and et cetera, et cetera. Okay. I think in my case, what I found is that if we're really honest, you know, you don't want to scare them bad. I just want to say, oh, look, you know, there's a chance that, you know, if I put some local into you, you might die, right? <laughs> you know, you don't want to go to that. Level, let's be sort of yeah. Okay. I found, in, in my opinion, I found that when you give patients lots of information, a lot of the shop around now, especially for bigger uh, sort of things, um, then uh, they find that because you've been so transparent and honest with them, uh, you... Um, they really respect that okay and they usually come back to you because you know there's no point in going to somebody else and they don't tell you the entire truth and then you know you're like oh everything's very rosy if they found out that somebody has told me the truth and they've gone to another practitioner who's then told them half the information they're like well they're not telling me everything dr choke told me dr choke told me about all the possible risks and complications that can occur right and they they're more likely to come back and say Do you know what i'd go with you because you're honest and transparent so you know mm-hmm. don't don't be deterred <laughs> that's fair enough um, so you know for a lot of our audience there are a lot of the they're not they're more the recent new grads you know they always want mentoring and you, like you've mentioned you know you're you've got an associate so how do you kind of embrace it because some people interpret it differently some people think it's a bit being held by the hand some people want to be checked in once in a while some people want to be a fly on the wall and just um, observe I mean yeah, so how do you approach it, or what are your thoughts on recent graduates when they're looking for mentoring? Um, come and meet your mentor. Um, I did a series of webinars, and even that, I invited people to come into the surgery. Okay, we're not going to assess you, look at you, going, what are you capable of, etc. Just come in, come in, meet our team, see what a day to day for me is like. You know what the day to day run of things are like, and whether that's what you sort of want to do. Um, but you know, you've got to show up, yeah. Otherwise, you won't know. I think, um, I think if you, I think it's important to come and meet your mentor, find out whether they're the right fit for you. Um, in terms of answering a question about some people want to dip in, etc., I have a set format of what my requirement is in terms of teaching, okay. And I don't like any less than that because that then leaves sort of gaps and question marks and they usually cause problems and then that's when you end up in hot water, okay? So if you, there's a certain amount of learning that you have to do to be able to do, let's say, that case and assessment, okay? 
Um, some people like to go off and do the assessment themselves, like you said, and come back to you and say, this is what I've done. But, you know, and that's what I prefer with the assessment part of it. And then I can correct rather than holding the hand for the assessment. But if it means holding the hand for the first one to assess it, then at least they've got a gist of what the right thing to do is, and then they can go back and do it themselves. So it's a bit of both, I would say. But in terms of the actual clinical application of it, no, then I'm sort of like um, completely sitting next to them and assisting uh, until I know they're able to do that for their own cases. And we're mm. sort of pretty much giving them a competency profile. So until you achieve that competency profile, um, I'm there as your safety net. Yeah. I mean, what happens if, you know, let's say, for example, Peter's like, I've got this tricky case um, about maybe just um, trying to understand, you know, um, the, the, the occlusal scheme and all of that, like, what factors do I need to consider? Um, and he comes to you, like, you know, how do you suggest he approach you? Do you think he should, like, uh, you know, ask you afterwards or kind of, uh, I guess, take all the records and ask you afterwards or... Um, kind of if it's okay for me to kind of come in and then just observing you and doing your cases yeah a bit of both he comes in you know people like he wants to see something he'll come in there's a, like students will ring in and say what's dr choker got on today i'll do this 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 and this and most of my patients are very good i'll say look you know student they're like oh absolutely fine rare for people to say i don't want somebody in there um and with assessments and things what they do is there's a set number of things i want them to um we have a, a template. They've got to populate that with, you know, patient's history, etc., like you would normally. And they bring that with the X-ray. And uh, sometimes a Zoom call, they're like, "Oh, this is the X-ray. This is the history." So I quickly read through it, blah, blah, blah. and then we have a chat to say, you know, what do you think? And we have a discussion. So we have a treatment planning session. So that's how we approach it. Mm. Share with us what you hope your ideal clinical or non-clinical day might look like in five years' time. Um, my ideal clinical and non-clinical day in five years time I I am already on the progression of removing myself out of clinical largely uh, and teaching with clinical only for the teaching part of things not sort of my own practice um, so in five years time uh, I would imagine that I would be predominantly teaching and only having clinical cases that are uh, associated with, with students. Mm. And what would you, what are some words of wisdom that you would pass to your younger self? Um, keep learning and start early. <laughs> yeah. That's what I would do. I think by having education, education, education is what I would say. Because mm -hmm. that will, regardless of what happens and doesn't happen and pandemics and everything else, will always see you through. It'll keep you, if things interesting, um, it'll give you a larger knowledge and therefore more enjoyment of your um, career. Uh, and it'll give you more success. Fair enough. Um, so we asked a few questions around our audience. And um, one of the questions was, what's it, being, uh, what's it like being a hand model for, was it Grezia? <laughs> yeah. Grazia, yeah, yeah. Grazia, Grazia, yes. My 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 wife is a fashion stylist, so they wanted to use. They had a sort of dental theme sort of thing that they were doing, so they were using surgery. But part of the thing was I couldn't let them be on in surgery without somebody being there. None of my staff wanted to be there on the weekend, <laughs> so I had to be there weekend. And then suddenly I got roped into being that sort of hand model. <laughs> you can put that as one of your pro high highlight profile career highlights. Eh? <laughs> I don't know how you dug that one out, but anyway, <laughs> good on mm. you. And um, you know, do you still kind of practice your morning routine now, like you know, writing in the diary and uh, you know, exercising and all of that to kind of? Um, and is that something that you would still recommend to you know dentists as well? Just getting in that mindset and just going through your thoughts and. Uh, you know, very setting important. yourself ready for the rest of the day. Yeah, no, it's very important. Very important. You know, I use sort of a thing called five pillars. You know, so there's loads of these things out there, but generally it's not having devices for an hour before bed and an hour in the morning. No screens, no nothing. Um, I do my uh, sort of Wim Hof uh, freezing cold shower in the morning in the immune system. Try and get 20 minutes of exercise minimum in the morning. Uh, and uh, um, 10 minutes meditation, that's the first thing as soon as you wake up. 
And, you know, you don't have to be in some kind of sort of tantric pose. You know, you can be sitting up in your bed and just trying to not have all those normal thoughts that come into your head about the day and worries and everything else and just clearing your mind and it sets you up for the day. Mm. Dr. Bobby Choker, thank you for coming on the show today. There's so many more questions I want to ask you, but uh, if you can let the people know how they can find you or what you've got going on in your life. Absolutely. Um, you can find me by, you can come to the practice. It's open to everybody. You know, just let us know. Uh, we're in Bondi Junction, level 199 Spring Street. Uh, our number is 02807090. Uh, please go to uh, our website, drbobbychoker.com.au. Uh, it has a for dentist section and there's loads of education stuff going on there. We've got a boot camp which is fully subscribed um, this next week, but we're going to be running more. Uh, and for those of you who sort of don't want to sort of um, take time doing this, then you'll really want to get into it and really are focused on having an implant career. Um, we're launching the second uh, year um, intake uh, from February. Uh, we have an intake for our MSC. So in you know, the first year certification, we have an intake for that. We stopped in July this year. Um, it does require an interview process. So, you know, sign up, come in. You know, come and have a chat, you know, if you have more questions. If you like this episode, drop a comment below on your favorite part or leave a review. Don't forget to share it with your friends and we'll see you in the next episode of CP Junkie Podcast.